It's August 20th, 2014, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's technology. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. First, we'll cover some local and uh, science and tech stories, and then we'll tell you about some upcoming events. Joining us today is H. Doug Matsuoka from the Hawaii Gorilla v- uh, Video Hui to tell us about a Saturday workshop on live streaming. Then we have Cindy Matsuki from HTDC and Noah Hafner from High Capacity to tell us about the third anniversary of Wetware Wednesday. Finally, in the aftermath of Hurricane Isel, we'll find out about tech tools that can assist in the disaster recovery process. John Shear and Ian Kitajima will be here in the studio, and we, of course, hope to hear from people on Hawaii Island as well, and we hope you'll join the conversation, too. You can give us a call or tweet us on Twitter, but first, the headlines. Hawaii has been named one of the six top-performing states for its adoption of open data principles and overall public information access at the state government level. The Washington, D.C.-based Center for Data Innovation conducted its national assessment by reviewing each state's policies and online portals. Top scores went to Hawaii, Illinois, Maryland, New York, Oklahoma, and Utah. The report released Monday noted that 10 states had open data policies that were either established through legislative or executive order. Of those 10 states, all except for New Hampshire offers an open data portal. The center ranked states with a maximum of eight points assigned to four major categories. The presence of an open data policy, the quality of that policy, the presence of an open data portal, and the quality of that portal. The best portals were those that published data in a machine-readable format. That means that even if a state publishes data in PDF or Microsoft Word formats, it might not have an effective portal since those files can't be easily processed by software. Additionally, state open data portals with APIs or application programming interfaces got higher marks. According to the report, it is important for states to have both an open data policy that outlines where, how, what formats, and what types of data should be made available, and an open data portal that provides the data in a single accessible and machine-readable location. The center director, Daniel Castro, in in the introduction to the report, wrote, By releasing open data, government agencies can foster data-driven innovation, not only within government, but also among private uh, sector organizations and uh, individuals who can make use of these data sets. All states should be developing open data policies and portals. And, you know, I think... uh, it's nice that uh, Hawaii got recognized uh, in 2013. You know, we got uh, a bill on the state level for open data as well as the city and county of Honolulu. So, uh, you know, that's uh, an accomplishment and testimony to Hawaii's, I guess, uh, kind of being at the forefront. Well, certainly your work as well, Bert. Of course, we are co-founders of an organization dedicated to open data and open knowledge. Um, so it's good things. I like I like basically how they talk about PDFs and Word documents because if there's anything that I think is there's still a lot of room for improvement, it's that there are still PDFs and Word documents everywhere. And um, we want to be able to work with that data more uh, in more useful ways. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. If, uh, uh, if we can take it to the next level and start focusing on that API issue and on the machine-readable issue, I think that that's, that's still No, that's a good point us. because, I mean, there are, um, I think, just because you have a policy doesn't mean that the data is actually in the right format. And there are many agencies that either don't release their data or the data is not in a readable format. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times an agency will say, oh, it's on our website, yeah, and you go to right. the website, and not only is it a PDF, but it's a scan of a picture of a page, mm-hmm. and you're like, well, I'm, I might have to retype all of that stuff. So uh, if you want to see the report, it's at datainnovation.org, and uh, if you uh, are curious about the value of open data, there was a study that they've, they've uh, cited that said uh, open data could add $3 trillion to the global oh, economy. Oh, yeah, that's a McKinsey report. Yeah, good stuff. 
New research out of the University of Hawaii has found even more reason to be concerned about incorrectly labeled seafood. Even if a fishery stock substitution is for a fish of the same species, failing to disclose its geographic origin is still a dangerous practice. The researchers purchased from retail seafood counters in 10 different states. By studying the Chilean sea bass, some that were promoted as certified and some not, they demonstrated how such substitutions can expose consumers to unexpectedly high levels of mercury. Scientists using DNA techniques to be sure they were testing Chilean sea bass, some of which were sold as certified by the Marine Stewardship Council, or MSC. Most verified Chilean sea bass had very little variation in mercury levels, which were also relatively low. But among non-certified fish, there were more substitutions detected, and certain fish in that group had very high mercury levels, up to two or three times higher than expected, and sometimes even greater than uh, import limits to some countries. And by looking into some high mercury content fish that were sold as certified, the team was able to use DNA once again to determine that some Chilean sea bass with the MSC label clearly came from a fishery other than the certified one in South Georgia. UH Manoa biologist Peter Marco, lead author of the study, said in a release, because mercury accumulation varies within a species' geographic range according to a variety of environmental factors, the location where the fish is harvested matters a great deal. Well, I think, uh, you know, labeling is an important thing, but I often wonder how many, let's say, Akamai buyers are going to, let's say, Tamashiro Market or Foodland or wherever and asking what does the label say, and and how closely do some of our uh, fish retailers, you know, pay attention to pay that attention too. to the label? Well, yeah. so the report did note that there, through public information campaigns, more and more people are aware of the mercury content of certain fish. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just the first step because, again, even if you think you're eating what is a safe fish for mm-hmm. mercury, if it comes from someplace else or a geographic area where there's a lot of mercury in the environment, it still could be uh, dangerous to you. They. They were working from a previous study, in fact, that found that 20% of fish that they bought that were labeled as Chilean sea bass weren't even that fish. Mm-hmm. So at this point, that's that's already a bad statistic. But now when they're just focusing within that one species, they're still finding this variation. That's right. Well, moving on to the local tech calendar. On Saturday, teachers are invited to learn about how they can incorporate the Hokulea Worldwide Voyage in their classrooms, the Polynesian Voyaging Society and the UH Center for Microbial um, Oceanography Research and Education will provide an update on the voyage and how it can be a springboard for teaching marine science. The seminar will be Saturday morning at Kapolei High School and RSVPs are recommended. You can call 305-8287 or email info at malamalearningcenter.org. David Hogue is leading a workshop on Sunday called Designing for Social Media. You can create opportunities for social interactions by turning content and messaging into an interactive dialogue on the web and mobile devices. The Pacific New Media event is on August 24th. It's all day from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. in Sakamaki Hall at UH Mano. And for more information on that, you can go to outreach.hawaii.edu slash PNM. And now joining us is H. Doug Matsuoka from the Hawaii Gorilla Video Who to tell us about a citizen advocate workshop taking place on Saturday. Welcome to the show, H. Hey, Bert. Hey, Ryan. You know, it's always great being up here in the Bite Marks Broadcasting Penthouse, the 
the view just blows me away. The, the people well, down that's, there that's just look like bring, ants. That's why we yeah. bring you guests over here so yeah, you can enjoy. Yeah, really impressive. Well, uh, so, Doug, <laughs> um, certainly we've been seeing a lot of your work, and you've focused quite a bit on documenting enforcement actions just here in Honolulu. Right. Um, when there, and as this ongoing campaign uh, clearing homeless from certain areas, you're on the spot, you're streaming from there. And so it made sense that this workshop happened to help more people do that. But this workshop was actually organized before um, national headlines and even global headlines were dominated by what's happening in Ferguson. In Ferguson, right. I mean, you can see right now the importance of live streaming. If you just go to uh, Twitter and check the hashtag for Ferguson or mm-hmm. go to Livestream.com or Ustream.com and look up Ferguson, you'll see um, a lot of simultaneous live streams taking place on the street right now. So, so Doug, I mean, you've been one of the, um, I guess, guys that kind of pioneered the uh, sort of live, on-the-spot, in-the-field live streaming. I mean, a lot of us might, might do live streaming, but we're close to, uh, you know, an electrical outlet, and we've got a computer, a laptop, and, we're, you know, we're ready to rock and roll. But you're out there in the field. What are you going to cover in your class that helps people to actually maybe deploy into the field with live casting well, equipment. You know the the thing is, you know, I had the um and we're talking about live streaming from a from a smartphone or mm-hmm, something with mm-hmm. real minimal equipment. And I had uh, a Ustream account for years before I actually used it because I'd use it and I'd say, "Hey, it's neat. You can live stream stuff to the internet." And then but there was nothing to live stream until uh December 29th, 2011. I was at the corner of Ward and Baratania. I remember the spot. It was a deoccupy Honolulu encampment, and that's the night that the uh, police decided to change the border of what was the sidewalk and what was the park in order to clear the encampment. And uh, crews came, trucks came, and they just cleared the whole thing, trucks and bolt cutters and saws, uh, uh, city crews and police came and did it. And I had something to live stream, so I was on the air for about four hours. And that's what convinced me, you know, the importance of it. People, especially during the Occupy movement, were live streaming because they were having a problem with the police taking their cameras, taking their phones, and destroying the evidence. And uh, that actually happened in Honolulu, too. If you're live streaming, it goes directly uh, to the web, and it's stored there, and people are watching it. Um, people were also mirroring the feed so mm-hmm. that, you know, to make it difficult to destroy the evidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I imagine you're going to cover some of these technological tools, some of these platforms. Um, one thing that's been higher up in, I would say, the general public consciousness is that there is, of course, law and policy uh, on the side of live, live streamers because of Ferguson that um, you can't be demanded, uh, provided you're in a public place and you're they're, they're acting in the uh, role of law enforcement that there's no there can be no hindrance to that right well you know actually there are a lot of laws there's this thing called the uh, the constitution and it has a lot of rules in it that guarantee us certain kind of freedoms you know part of this is theoretical because on the street is sometimes it doesn't hold citizens really have to insist on their first amendment rights their fourth amendment rights to Uh, protections against unreasonable search and seizure, Fifth Amendment rights to due process, Fourteenth Amendment rights to um, equal enforcement uh, of the law Mm -hmm. in order to get them. It's not automatically uh, granted to you, and it's certainly not something the police want to give you. The police want to test it and have the courts deal with it Mm -hmm. a lot of times. 
So this workshop that you're going to be doing to help empower citizens in this way, where and when? How can they uh, learn? Saturday morning, uh, 9th, it's a very short workshop, actually 10 to 11.30, uh, St. Andrew's Cathedral uh, offices, second floor. And it's sponsored, I should say, by Common Cause and the uh, St. Andrew's uh, Social Justice Crew. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's a kind of a small gathering this time, but you have some future ones coming up, right? There's a, yeah, this one's limited to about a dozen people. It's a small venue, and it's a short workshop. There's going to be a longer one, a three-hour workshop sponsored by Pacific New Media on September 27th. That's for pay, though. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Doug, for joining us. Thank you. Now, we uh, also have here in the studio Cindy Matsuki from HTDC and Noah Hafner from High Capacity. And uh, although we regularly let people know about the monthly Wetware Wednesday networking mixer, uh, this one is special. Welcome to the show, Noah and Cindy. Thank you. Thank you. So, Cindy, first first of all, what's the milestone for this uh, this fun event? <laughs> So we're actually celebrating three years of being in existence. And yes, I think that's, three years already? that's pretty good, yeah. right, for a <laughs> monthly event for software developers. So, yeah. Well, you know, I think uh, you've been successful at uh, attracting a larger part of the tech community besides just software developers. Am I right? Yeah, definitely. It's kind of evolved. Like the initial intent of the gathering was to bring UH students to meet industry in the software developer industry. And it's kind of grown to include entrepreneurs and the startup community. So it's kind of become a bigger, a bigger thing. Mm-hmm. So what do you have in mind for the, uh, the third anniversary blowout for Wetware Wednesday? So it's going to be a fun one. It's going to be next week, Wednesday, from 6 to 8 at 1144 Nightclub. It used to be Bamboo 2, right mm-hmm. next to Mark's Garage. Uh-huh. Um, and it's going to be sponsored by Blue Planet Software. Hank Rogers was one of the founders of Wetware Wednesday. So and he's gonna send over a little video. We're hoping. Supposedly he's on the Hokulea that day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, he's out there so somewhere. Hank, right? <laughs> yeah. I thought he was maybe at the Burning Man or something. <laughs> <laughs> Hokulea this time. Okay. <laughs> um, so they're one of the sponsors as well as Honolulu Civil Beat, and mm-hmm. they're gonna be introducing their new tech writer, Evan Nagel. Mm-hmm. So and he's already. I've been seeing quite a lot of his uh, writing already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he'll get to meet the software developer community in person. And then we also have an awesome cupcake sponsor, Tushar's, bringing some cupcakes from Hokulani Bake Shop. Mm-hmm. Every event should have a Great. cupcake sponsor. I know, we should. You got our smoothie. <laughs> but so, the main feature is high capacity. So high capacity. And Noah, you're representing high capacity. Uh, what do you guys uh, have in, in, in store for us for this uh, sort of anniversary event? Well, we're hoping to do something a little bit different from uh, some of the other ones. And we're hoping to have... Uh, a couple of different demonstrations for people to just uh, go and visit and see what they find oh. interesting. So we're ho- we're planning to show off uh, the new head-mounted displays from Oculus, their DevKit 2 version of the Rift. Ah. And uh, we also have some uh, embedded systems demonstrations, maybe sensors or displays or things like that to show off. You're not going to show the cardboard? We sh- might have some of that, but we're it's mostly focusing on the Oculus. on the maybe less rain-sensitive version. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. I like that. Now, uh, on your lapel, it's, it's actually kind of hard to get a focus um, on your handsome face because there's something blinking. I presume this has something to do with this event as well. Yes. Uh, we, uh, in, in partnership with HTDC, designed and uh, created um, little blinky badges with um, flashing LEDs and some 
nice graphics so um, everyone who shows up uh, can hopefully get one of those and enjoy it as well. Now, High Capacity has been around for some time as well, so you're going to be kind of raising awareness of some of the activities that happen. But um, you also recently graduated from UH, and you're kind of moving from, as Cindy said, from the UH student level to an entrepreneurial side. Um, what what has uh, the Wet Wear Wednesday done for you? Well, it's, it's very valuable to um, meet people who have already been there and done that and gain from their experience. Um, because obviously school doesn't prepare you for everything. It just gives you a lot of tools uh, to use when you go out into the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, Cindy, what do you have uh, in, you know, in terms of uh, this, this uh, third anniversary? What would you like to see as being sort of a successful event turnout uh, uh, you know, as a result of this, uh, you know, going over to um, 1144? Well, it's a big space. It's kind of a new space. Um, but we have kind of opened up who we're inviting. Uh-huh. So we've invited a bunch of different types of people. So I invited the Retail Merchants Association. Okay. And we're talking with the telecommunications people. Um, so do you want it to sort of be like a mixer and have everybody kind of get to know each other? And Exactly. Because I think there's a lot of collaborations that could potentially happen if these different types of people got mm-hmm, together. Mm-hmm. And everybody needs software developing now. So I think... This is a great venue. Well, I, I mean, I've, he- I've heard that, you know, at, now that we have a community and it's fairly cohesive, mm-hmm. that we want to find these tech elements in other industries because, frankly, technology is in every industry. Mm-hmm. It's not exactly. its own thing. Exactly. So would you say going forward, the future of uh, Wet Wear Wednesday is to to roll that, that uh, red carpet out wider as you're mm-hmm. doing We would like to. We would like to kind of maybe focus on different industries and expose the software developers to that. Because I think a lot of part of the entrepreneurship is finding out what the problems are out there. And so I think introducing them to different different industries, they can understand what people are struggling with and what technology Mm -hmm. could Mm -hmm. potentially help with. Very good. So, Cindy, tell us again, where, when, and what can we look forward to? (laughs) Where it's going to be... Next week, Wednesday, August 27th, from 6 to 8 at 11.44. So that's 11.44 Bethel Street. Okay. And it's going to be some hands-on demos with high cap cupcakes. Um, <laughs> and what I do want to do is we want to collect some success stories. So kind of just like what Noah said, like, mm-hmm. have you met people? Have you hired anybody that you met at Wetware? So you're going to have an open mic and invite people up to tell, uh, tell their success stories? We could do that. But one thing is we want to collect them beforehand, uh-huh. too, and kind of have them... On oh, a slideshow. Yeah, so you can email me, cindy at htdc.org. And if you want more information, go to htdc.org. Very good. Well, thanks, Cindy and Noah, for joining us. Thank you for having us. Okay, <laughs> and that's what's been happening this week. We'll take a short break, and when we return, we'll be joined by John Shear and Ian Kitajima to talk about tech-assisted damage assessments on the Big Island. Indeed. How is technology enabling emergency response to get out to the field faster and get information back faster? We, of course, love your thoughts or questions. As part of the conversation, we'll be hearing from some people in the field on Hawaii Island, but we want to hear from you as well. You can call 941-3689 or toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. And we're live here in the studio monitoring Twitter like we usually do, and you can tweet us at ByteMarks or at Hawaii. This is ByteMarks Cafe. For years, we were warned that Hawaii was due for a hurricane. Tropical Storm Yusel made that warning real. Now, after a few weeks and as Big Island districts dig out, how will you grade Hawaii's response before, during, and after the storm? Our panel takes on that question. 
and how Hawaii gets ready for next time. We'll talk Thursday at 5 on Town Square. Aloha, Hawaii Island listeners. Please join us in beautiful Waimea for the first Applause from the Kahilu, August 24th at 4 p.m. This live performance showcases Big Island talent Ekolo Meanui with Sunny Lim, authentic Paniolo music, and more. HPR staff and volunteers will be at the Kahilu on Sunday the 24th. See you there. Tickets at kahilutheater.org. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And joining us today is John Shear and Ian Kitajima. John heads up a disaster preparedness company called Ready Zone HQ and was recently involved with the statewide hurricane response planning for Makani Pahili. Ian, meanwhile, is the marketing manager at OceanNet and was recently in Pune supporting Hawaii Civil Defense with damage assessments and field communications. And what can technology best support in the event of a disaster? We'd love to hear your Questions and comments, and of course, that number to call is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. John and Ian, we want to welcome you both to Bite Marks Cafe. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Yeah, so, of course, uh, you know, we were all involved with uh, some aspect of uh, Hurricane Isal and watching and monitoring and doing whatever we could from our vantage points and and as the um, uh, hurricane kind of passed uh, the islands, and, and um, uh, then it became kind of a recovery effort. And, and Ian, maybe give us a little sense of, uh, you know, when, when it was uh, passed, you know, it passed landfall. What do you, what's going through your mind in terms of what can somebody do, right. you know, if they were to perhaps help out with the recovery effort? Well, that's a good question, but let, let me back up a little bit. Okay. So actually what um, – there was a lot of preparations going on as the storm was was coming mm-hmm, to Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And so uh, State Civil Defense was kind of ramping up uh, in anticipation that there would be some damages and disa- – you know, there would be some significant damages. So they kind of called us in and basically have been using our Mercy Disaster Assessment Tool and so we actually, just a few days before, it was actually training people and actually states of defense, along with National Guard, had sent additional um, iPad minis, which our device runs on, back uh, to the Big Island, which they felt would be the hardest hit. And we also work with their teams in the county side to actually get their devices set up and people trained there. Because as soon as the storm passed on mm-hmm. Thursday, Friday morning, um, county um, housing and, and other f- officials actually started going out to the field which was pretty difficult because again everything was blocked you had main roads all down so but but Friday and Saturday is when they started the uh, damage assessments now, now tell us a little bit about uh, mercy because i know we covered it on the show probably sure. about a year ago but maybe give us a refresher so this actually so this tool was actually developed specifically for state civil defense here in Hawaii and it was actually started almost more than almost four years ago. Mm-hmm. And so working very closely with State Civil Defense and Hawaii National Guard, um, we basically developed this system, this basically this iOS app that runs on your iPad, iPad minis, uh, your iPhone, and basically um, lets you go out to the field and actually do damage assessments, do it in the field, fill out the information in a, in a, a lot of times in a communication environment where there is no communications. 
And so you actually can collect the data out there. It geotags the assessment. It geotags all the pictures, stores it on the phone. And when you have a cellular connection or Wi-Fi connection, actually will then start syncing this data up into this into a cloud or into their database system. And then from there, there's like a, a command center kind of interface that's in the emergency operations center or what they call the EOC. Mm-hmm. And basically, you can see a real-time kind of as the data goes up there, you can see the actual assessments and, the, and you can start racking and stacking that information and seeing how bad the where the damage assessments are coming in mm-hmm. on. Well, I definitely want to talk a little bit more about that technology, about collecting information, and we'll cover also how social media played a part, and we have callers joining us on the Big Island very soon. But uh, before we get there, John, now um, you helped and participated in Makani Pahili, which was a statewide disaster preparedness exercise. It was a practice. It was a scenario. And then not long after that, we had the real thing. Um, I was uh, interested in your thoughts as far as how much that preparedness through Makani Pahili uh, fed into what you saw working or perhaps not working when Isel hit? Sure. Uh, Makati Bahili as an annual exercise, this was the largest exercise that we've held since 2009. So it was uh, thousands of responders taking part in the exercise in all the different jurisdictions, the county level, at the state level. We actually had a team fly in from FEMA and other uh, federal organizations that were participating. So it's uh, really interesting to see the exact scenario that we played out in June was uh, what faced us with the Zell. So we did a damage assessment, actually a damage assessment and debris clearance exercise in Hawaii County, specifically with trees fell, uh, falling across roads on a National Guard site. We had simulated live wires, and then we had joint teams that would have to put together a task force to be able to respond using the Mercy tool to see how that would work out. And mm-hmm. that was just two months before the event. So I've heard really good feedback. Yeah, you know, when I saw the uh, the, the track and, you know, how um, Pacific Disaster Center and, and the the weather service will produce these products to give you a sense of the direction of the hurricane and when it uh, when they were tracking it and showing its direction toward the big island it looked almost exactly like what we had produced for makani pahili i mean it was kind of scary yes it was now so, when you say uh, sorry live wire that's when there's power lines and one of the things that had to be repeated during the coverage was certainly if you see a power line not to do anything or not to touch it but there are people whose jobs it had to be to do that Exactly. And, and again, what tends to happen is each of these organizations have separate drills where they participate in uh, maybe uh, the power crew will go out and, and then Helco will take a look at what they need to do. Then there might be something from Public Works would come out. In this exercise, we actually brought them all together. Mm-hmm. So you had a task force taking a look at how would they handle uh, taking care of a live wire. And again, that's exactly what they had to face. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, we want to welcome um, a couple of callers, I think, that are on the line uh, uh, we have Denise uh, from the Big Island and, and uh, well, actually from the Puna area and also Cody uh, from the uh, Hilo area. And they were both kind of involved with uh, sort of on-the-ground assessment of, of what was going on because they were part of the community. Uh, Denise, uh, welcome to Bite Marks Cafe. Aloha, Bert. Aloha, Ian. Aloha, John. Um, Don't yes, forget Ryan. Puna. <laughs> Now, uh, Denise, uh, you know, Ian was talking about this, the app that they had developed that allows people to collect information, geotag it, see it in a, in a central emergency center to coordinate a response. But certainly, although there are a lot of uh, people whose, I would say, dedicated role was to do things like that, one of the things that I definitely saw you playing a part of was was just stepping up as a citizen using tools like social media, everything from Instagram that Instagram pictures that were tagged with Excel to uh, Facebook posts and gathering all of that. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Um, yeah, but, you know, it's really fascinating 
having myself been involved as a Red Cross volunteer and also involved in VOAD, uh, which is Volunteer Organizations Active in Disasters, and I'm very familiar with Makana uh, Pihili. Um, I've been involved in that both on Maui and here on the Big Island. Um, but what's interesting is that after this particular disaster, after Zell hit, um, it wasn't those groups that necessarily were on the ground first. It was social media. And I believe Cody um, Osborne is on the line, too, joining us, um, also from Pune. And he is one of the admins of a Facebook page called um, Isel Recovery Assistance Offers and Requests. And, you know, honestly, that particular Facebook page and its corresponding uh, website, uh, IselRecovery.org, made the difference between life and death up here in the aftermath of that storm because it was the people joining together on social media that were helping each other. And I, I know John mentioned something about, you know, the National Guard and how you guys trained as part of that drill. Honestly, I didn't see them handing out ice till Wednesday. And uh, the, they may have been around. I saw them driving around my neighborhood on Saturday, and I live in HPP. Um, my, my driveway was blocked. I'm in the hardest-hit neighborhood out here. Well, except for Nanavali's is still without power in Kapolo. But um, it was the people that stepped up through social media that really prevented a massive humanitarian crisis on our hands out here in Puna. Well, you know, I think you um, you have a point. I mean, the you know the uh, first responders, the government agencies, you know, they have limited resources. So you know whether they can cover a, a wide range uh, is some sometimes problematic. And of course, the first people that you're going to probably rely on is the community that's around you. And it's great that, uh, you know, you guys were able to leverage some of these uh, tools. And uh, Cody Osborne, I want to welcome you to Bite Marks Cafe. Uh, you know, tell us a little bit about how you kind of got involved with this. Okay, I, I work in the social media space on a regular basis. So I got involved kind of the minute that the, everybody knew the hurricane was bearing down on us. And um, I just kind of operated in my own network and with others. And I did some tagging and whatnot, but um, it uh, became clear uh, by about Monday that um, uh, this was a, a larger um, disaster than a lot of people had known. And um, that's just, you know, credit the news with uh, getting out some information but not being able to telegraph things very accurately. So um, obviously social media um, was uh, alive with all the posting of damage. Um, I mean, that's really... Its greatest strength is just the the images and the stories that can come out of it. So, um, I think it was uh, Tuesday morning. I found out about the Azel Recovery Facebook page that uh, Darcy had started. I think Sunday night, uh, just on a whim. And um, I think I was about the 50th member of the page, and it's grown to about 2,170 members as of today. And um, I just told her very early on that I wanted to help out in any way that I could. Um, I have a some friends down there, but I did want to operate basically on the outside and just do whatever I could to help out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, um, Cody, I mean, um, I certainly, uh, anyone active on Facebook and such, we're, we're seeing a lot of these activities. I, I I saw people responding to each other's calls for help. I have a chainsaw. I have a truck. Um, where are you located? I can come to you. People coming over from the Kona side and many people coming down from Hilo. Uh, for From your perspective, um, what was the most, I, I, I guess, a valuable kind of service? Uh, was it the assessment side in terms of we need to let people know that this damage is here even though you might not be able to see it because the news 
news crews can't come down the street? Or was it more um, finding people in need and, and reaching them? I mean, what, uh, what was the greatest impact in your view? That that's a hard one because both of those are were very important. Um, and, you know, as you know, social media is kind of the uh, the way to really turn it into a megaphone, so people were able to get out there. Um, and then you know, the Big Island people were really willing to help. Um, I've seen it in in the past in a variety of circumstances, even you know from a car wreck to where everybody just pulls over and everybody pulls together and helps out uh, anybody that's in need. But um, you know, to, to tell you the truth, like, to go back to Tuesday. Uh, there really was um, more incoming information than there was really, um, you know, social media is all about connections. And so the connections weren't really there. So, yeah, initially I think it really was just telegraphing the need was, was the biggest thing. And then we were able to turn the corner. I don't know when that was. I, uh, last week was kind of all a blur. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, as more people came on and more people uh, uh, were ready to take um, kind of an admin role to be able to help us and to rebroadcast the messages that we were receiving and to try to funnel. Um, that's where it really kind of turned the corner. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I want to still a blur last week. <laughs> I can certainly understand that. You know, I want to um, I want to get back to you, Cody. But I wanted to also ask Ian. You know, I, I want to. I'm trying to figure out uh, with uh, the tool, like say Mercy, having the ability to go out and and take pictures and do some damage assessment and get locations with, with geocoding. Um, how quickly was that able to be acted upon um, versus, let's say, the community sharing things on Facebook and then having basically the community sort of respond to that right. direct request on Facebook? So give right. me a sense of, you know, from the Mercy application, sure. what was the time between posting your findings and perhaps a response? Oh, the, you know, the... I give credit to the the county folks because as soon as um, the storm had passed on Friday, they had already been doing their Friday and Saturday. They were already in the field, so they were kind of doing what what we think of as windshield assessments. They tried to get in as far as they could into different areas and actually get out and actually do quick assessments. So basically, uh, taking a picture, grabbing some information, geotagging things, and actually getting into the system. So by the time um, I I came out on Sunday, they had already had a couple of different, a t- couple hundred assessments in the system already. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a very specialized role because part of it too is, you know, it's county people tagging along later on with National Guard people because again, there's definitely a public safety kind of concern with people just coming into the Puna communities and just saying, because again, there was a lot of fear about who's coming into these communities. So there part of it, a lot of fear. yeah, I, I, Denise, you, you know it very well. There was a lot of fear about that. So part of it is when we started going back in, we actually tagged in with the Hawaii National Guard folks on island because part of it is we wanted to make sure the community knew that there were official people coming in to do these damage assessments. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so by the end, but very quickly, um, by by the time I left on Thursday evening, there was over 600 assessments that had been done, and there's much more to be done because the focus was initially on individuals. We kind of left, we're kind of getting to the businesses, and we did a lot of infrastructure kind of assessments, but it's really been focused on the individuals because the thing that I had to get ready for is on Friday, FEMA landed on island. Actually, it came Thursday night, and on Friday... They started actually doing joint preliminary assessments with FEMA, the county, and everyone. So there was a lot of things going on. And where I think the Facebook and the, the community is that you have Denise and Cody and other folks embedded in the community. And that is a very, very valuable thing that we could never do from, I think, from a kind of specialized focus of doing the damage assessments. We're not, you know, so that's why I think it's a combination of those things that made it really, really good. Because from that, I think we could um, be more effective in, in, in kind of getting resources back out to people. 
No. John, if, oh. if I may tag on to what Ian is saying, I actually have uh, my Mercy app on my phone. I'm mm-hmm. actually familiar with it and, you know, had it on my phone for quite some months. Um, but that wasn't necessarily the tool that I was using because I was getting inundated, you know, sometimes 20, 30, 10, 20, 30 requests a minute. You know, can you go check on this fancy? This person needs ice. This person needs that. This person, you know, is stranded. This person is trapped. Um, when Ian is referring to, you know, being uploaded to the cloud and, and whatnot, that's also dependent upon um, certain infrastructure and technology being available on island. And what what we found after the storm, for instance, um, I'm one of those folks that still has a landline, mm-hmm. and I always had it just in case of emergency. Um, I still do not have Hawaiian tel service, um, but I had Verizon cell phone service. In no way, shape, or form a plug for Verizon, but Verizon was one of the few um, mobile cell companies that didn't have interruption of service. So if you had AT&T, if you had T-Mobile, you had a really hard time accessing social media or accessing your phone at all because coverage was very spotty. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Just the luck of the draw, I my cell phone company stayed up and running. Um, but that was another huge issue is that people had no communication. Certainly. And, and you know, we were we were incredibly fortunate that Hilo did not experience the level of devastation that Puna did. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, would be in a whole other world of hurt. Now, now, um, Denise, you had mentioned something about uh, concern for uh, outside or maybe unknown entities entering into the area. That was uh, a huge issue. How yeah. and and how did you perhaps mitigate that, or was there any way of sort of understanding who was perhaps coming well, in based on? That was actually another uh, great thing about social media. You know, for instance, um, the page that Cody admins, the Zell Recovery Assistance, offers and requests, people were mentioning it on that. I happen to live in Hawaiian Paradise Park, and we have our own closed Facebook group page. And so people would say, hey, I just chased a looter off of my property. They're driving this vehicle. They're driving that. Now, people would post comments like, oh, I'm hearing, you know, stories about looting. That particular stuff, I would not repost information unless I had two credible first-hand sources. Mm-hmm. So just having a writing and reporting background, I'm not going to re- reshare information unless I can have it verified and I've got first-hand sources that say, yes, this is what happened to me. Because there was a newspaper article in the Hawaii Chicken Herald which said, yeah, looting is not an issue. We're not seeing an increase in crime. But I can tell you that was not the case, what was being reported in social media. A lot of the people were chasing people off of their property so that the crimes weren't committed, mm-hmm. so hence there were no increased deaths. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, there's, there's a high burglary rate within HVT for Isel. Right. And so when you have suspicious cars kind of cruising along, and, you know, I had a couple of cars, you know, cruise by my house and, you know, with, a group of men and them and, you know, something to that effect, and you're kind of like, okay. But when I did post information, it was, you know, I had at least one to two first-hand accounts. I live on this street. I saw this car. It had this license plate. This is what the drivers mm-hmm. look like. Yeah, you okay. Know, well, no, that's uh, that's good. And uh, I'd like to uh, um, hear a little bit from uh, Cody, but uh, we want to hold that thought. We want to get back uh, after this short break. 
and continue our conversation with John Shear, Ian Kitajima, uh, Denise uh, Leitonen, and Cody Osborne about uh, minimizing delay in deploying disaster response resources out uh, into areas like Pune. And, of course, what have we learned in this latest natural disaster and what new uh, strategies can we use for the inevitable next time? You can give us a call with your thoughts at 941-3689 or from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. You are listening to Bite Marks Cafe. You're not the only oyster in the stew. Americans have had a long love affair with oysters. Almost every time I eat a good oyster, I think, gosh, that's better than I've ever had. But by the 1980s, over-harvesting disease and pollution had decimated them. Now, some determined oyster lovers are working hard to bring them back. I'm Sarah McConnell. Join me for With Good Reason. Thursdays at 6.30 on Hawaii Public Radio. Tired of the everyday routine? Yeah. Want to get away from it all? Yeah. We offer you Escape! I'm Jad Abumrad. On the next Radio Lab, we escape from jail. He's an escape artist and folk hero. From our past. I don't think there's any way Chris changes. And from the solar system. Our first baby steps into interstellar space. Saturday morning at 10. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ran Ozawa, and we're talking to, here in the studio, John Shear and Ian Kitajima, and joining us from Hawaii Island, Cody Osborne and Denise Lightnin, about leveraging technology in disaster response. And, you know, before the break, uh, we were talking about uh, gathering up information, trying to get that information out to the right people to respond to it. Of course, if you have any comment or question, you can give us a call here. The number is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 for the neighbor islands. And, John, I mean, you got some thoughts on, on actually uh, how, does, uh, how does this data that gets gathered, whatever means, technical, could be social media, it could be Mercy application, it could be aerial drones that are taking you know, footage. I mean, how does that get to the right people at the right time? Sure. I mean, it's one of the hardest things. It's called situational awareness. Mm -hmm. You're trying to build a common operating picture so everybody knows what's taking place at the local, state, and the federal level. So just um, this past month in July, the White House hosted a conference. It was um, uh, called the White House Innovation for Disaster Response and Recovery Mm -hmm. Demo Day. And so they had over, uh, I mean, dozens and dozens of apps and, and other types of products that were being developed just for what you're talking about. There's a great YouTube um, uh, video that shows the entire program if you're interested in getting some more details. But in particular, um, data.gov is a great store, source for open source data that's out there, um, data.gov slash applications. And there's probably 100-some tools specifically fo- focused on disaster response and recovery that are going to be posted there just based on, again, the White House uh, demo day that they did. Now, I'm curious, and, and you and I both worked on the, uh, the planning for, for Makani Pahili. What is it that needs to happen in order for these applications to actually get incorporated into a governmental p- procedure, whether it be civil defense or Department of Emergency Management? It is a big challenge, but one of the first things that happens after any disaster is you have an after-action report. And so some of the tools that came out of uh, things like the Boston Marathon bombing was the use of Yammer. Mm-hmm. And so using a social media tool for uh, the survivors. So they have a closed kind of channel to be able to, to share information back and forth. 
Um, same type of thing for Hurricane Sandy. Uh, Airbnb stepped up to the plate and offered to um, have uh, housing for uh, victims that were out there and for people to um, share information about uh, preparedness. And for, so that's some things that have, uh, you have the after-action report, you have interest take place in the government, and then you have the private sector step up to see how can they take this technology that was created maybe for another uh, use and then focus it on disaster response. So so in the case of, um, in the case of uh, let's say, uh, ESAL, was there an act after action report that the different jurisdictions conducted? They will. They uh, will. Okay. They will. Yeah, they, they just closed the Disaster Assistance uh, Recovery Center. And so I think that they're meeting today to talk about what are the things that happened to, to, um, that they need to provide support. I think they had uh, over 1,000 people went through that on the Big Island, and they mm-hmm. want to see what are the things they could do better next time. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, uh, 1,400 plus. Right. Um, uh, Cody, uh, you said you work in the social media space. It's one of the things that uh, you do for a living as well as, in this case, helping with disaster response. Um, One of the things that certainly is clear is that you have some specialized government tools, you have citizens using tools, uh, and you kind of want more cross-pollination. I'm kind of curious what your uh, thought is that, you know, because when you're moderating a Facebook group, uh, Denise mentioned needing credible sources. I mean, what kind of training did, did you have or do you think would have helped or helped your fellow Facebook group members do an even better job of providing good information to the community? Yeah, I think that's um, the weakest link, and I don't have a good answer for you on that, unfortunately. But um, I did I did think that uh, uh, getting credible information from from both sources, like, you, you know, we get individual par- participation on the page, um, and that's by organizations, citizens, and businesses that all contribute to the page, and then we can, you know, rebroadcast that. But when it came to the official sources, it was really hard to get uh, timely information. You know, sometimes we got information before, you know, we heard it on the radio or um, from civil defense or whatnot, but it, um, you know, I don't have a good answer for you on, um, I, I do need, I do know that uh, more um, training is necessary to kind of bring those entities together, mm-hmm. but I just don't know um, of an example uh, cur- that currently exists kind of between these kind of spring up um, groups mm-hmm. and uh, official response teams. Cody, you had an interesting observation in terms of the, the community in Pune uh, that, you know, it may not have been internet connectivity, but everybody was uh, definitely on their mobile devices. Correct. Yeah, I, I, I have noticed, um, you know, as, as part of the marketing and the social media that I do, that um, Pune is uh, very uh, um, uh, mobile-centric. Um, I think that just has to do with uh, uh, the great number of people that um, depend on a little bit less at home and uh, are kind of pared down. So um, they depend on their mobile device um, for all of their streaming, at least when they're in the home. Um, you know, it, it really depends on where they're at, but, um, you know, it's upwards of 80% of the traffic, um, hmm. that I, that I see mm-hmm. is on a mobile device. So that was, uh, one of the first observations that I brought into the Facebook page and it was that there needed to be something very streamlined, something very easy that way. Anybody that did have service, you know, just like Deme- Denise mentioned that, um, people on Verizon phones, um, they could probably get this information that uh, we were trying to broadcast out. Thanks. Well, you know, um, we're we're talking about uh, emergency technology, and especially in the uh, the face of the aftermath of Hurricane Isal. And if you uh, have encountered uh, some tech that you might think is uh, perhaps applicable, please give us a call. Number here is nine four one three six eight nine on Oahu, 
or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. And we want to welcome Mark from Pune to Bite Mark's Cafe. Welcome to the show. Hi. Uh, yeah, I'm up in Stern uh, Acres, and uh, uh, so we. In fact, I thought I was going to lose my roof, but it it it, uh, it stayed on there, luckily. But um, I'm involved with uh, um, actually several groups. Uh, I'm an amateur radio operator, mm-hmm. and Great. Um, we got real busy with. Uh, um, uh, we have uh, it's a cert team community. Re- any emergency response team, I believe it stands for. That's correct. And uh, uh, they're in each one of the, we're trying to get them set up in each one of the uh, uh, areas. There's one in Volcano, and I know there's one in, uh, in Paradise Park. Um, and uh, they're, they're connected right directly to civil defense. Um, and we get, every time something happens, uh, we get real busy. I get activated by civil defense, like when the tsunami came the last time, and, uh, uh, and all that. So I just, you know, I'm surprised that uh, I really haven't heard too much um, um, about the CERT teams and stuff because they were really busy. Now they, um, they were incredibly busy out here. So CERT uh, and um, fortunate, and and we certainly agree with you in terms of the value. Bert and I personally went through the CERT program. John so did, did as John. well. Um, in fact, we, although we were in Mililani, high up in Oahu, we all activated our local group in Mililani and started to say, you know, so that kind of preparedness in the community is a is a good thing. So um, how would you encourage someone to to get involved in CERT, to be ready and to be more of an asset next time? Well, in, in you know, from my angle, um, uh, amateur radio uh, thing of it, it's, it's not hard to get licensed. Um, um, you can do it. Uh, there's a there's a guy that uh, he put the sign up at the Mormon Church down in uh, in um, uh, Orchidland, and um, um, but uh, yeah, just get a hold of uh, civil defense and 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 can find out how to join uh, or even start your own cert group. And, and, uh, and actually, get the the, I can tell you how you can sign up for that. There's actually a disaster preparedness fair that's going to be held in Puna in Kau on August 30th. And exactly. ironically, the fair has been in the works. It's the second annual one, so they've been actually planning it for several months. There's already more than 70 vendors lined up for this event, and there will be 13 there. The event is being um, co-organized by Hawaii County Civil Defense and Marlene Hopai, who's very well known in the Puna community. And so the folks that are interested in either learning more about teams or learning more about uh, disaster preparedness in the Pune area can come to the Pune Prep Fair, the Disaster Preparedness Fair, um, August 30th. It will be held from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. at the KL High School in KL. Oh, All that's, right. That's good. And thank you, Mark, for uh, calling and sharing um, sharing your story. Um, you know, uh, Bert and I are also hams, and certainly that kind of Oh, so is John. And John. John. The, and that kind of communication that doesn't rely on either, you know, Hawaiian or Verizon right. is a good thing. Um, so uh, definitely valuable. Um, before we uh, run out of time, I did want to ask Ian a little bit about that, that issue of connectivity within a community, let's say. Let's say Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, they're all down. Let's say that you don't have your land line or your DSL line into your house. Uh, Ocean, it also has a technology that's trying to make it easier for um, devices, even modern devices like an iPhone <laughs> or something, to, to interact without a network connection, correct? Yes. we. Um, I didn't take it along this time, but it's called EPOP. It stands for Emergency Pop-Up Phone and Power System. So um, it actually will create essentially a, a 
wireless mesh network um, that's essentially a Wi-Fi network. And so there's some apps you can load onto your iPhone called ePop, and then there's an Android app called Servo, and basically you can connect to this network and basically communicate using your existing phone. Now, so, the um, the whole idea is that the ePop network would provide kind of a, a wide area a Wi-Fi, yep. and, and it, it'd be a mesh. And if the Wi-Fi, if there was some point that accessed back into the internet, yep. everybody who jumped on could get internet yeah, access. Yeah, so if I connected a hotspot, for right. example, and, and I could connect to the internet, then it, everyone could get back out to the was internet. It, was it too much to deploy, or what, what this made you decide not to bring it down? I know, uh, you, I know, I know you demonstrated at Makani Pahili, but... Yeah, it's really compact. It's battery-powered, PV-powered. But I guess because we were so focused on the damage assessments, we really wanted to focus on, on, on that first and, and basically make sure we do a good job supporting the county and, and the state with those and the people there. With the well, great, great. You know, we got, uh, we got Peter Hirai calling from the city and county of Honolulu. Welcome to yeah. Bite Marks Cafe. Hello. Hi. Thank you very much. Yeah, Peter, how's it going? Hey, I'm great. Yeah, I just wanted to mention, I, I heard, overheard you folks mention that, uh, you know, the counties are doing after-action reviews. And although we did not have as much damage as the Big Island, and we, we pray for them every day, but uh, we did conduct an after-action review, and we did it by survey monkey rather than doing the traditional big meeting, taking hours with everybody, trying to have their say and having their peace. So we did that online by SurveyMonkey. We're collating the results, and we're going to have our improvement plan hopefully within the next month or so. But uh, just using technology is awesome for us. It saves us so much time to be able to gather all the information electronically. Mm-hmm. Well, so uh, can you speak to that a little bit? I mean, I know what SurveyMonkey is. It's a free survey tool. Anybody can use it. You can get a survey to find where you want to go for your anniversary uh, party. Um, how is it that the city doesn't, you know, didn't look for an RFP or some specific word Microsoft integration thing and just said, hey, this is something that's out there. It's free. Let's use that. What was that conversation like? Exactly. No, uh, we, we just had one smart person say, hey, this is, you know, we, we actually have a paid SurveyMonkey site so that we have the enhanced features. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that, that, it was such a minimal cost compared to, like you said, going out for an RFP and coming out with all kinds of fancy, coming out with our own um, with our own program. You know, this is commercial off-the-shelf technology. It's been proven. It works. It's cheap. So we, we definitely decided to take advantage of that. So, Peter, Peter, now that I have you on the line and a captive audience, uh, I wanted to ask you, you know, with all the, uh, I think, uh, testimony with people like uh, Denise and, and Cody on the field working with social media, how does the Department of Emergency Management sort of foresee leveraging some of that technology in your situational awareness? You know, this this time we created a city hotline where people could call in, uh, 768-CITY. But we're looking at taking that uh, to the next level, hopefully within the next year or so, mm-hmm. developing the social media enough. I mean, this this time we had a lot of tweets go out, not not only from DEM's tweet, but also the mayor's tweet to keep people, try to keep people apprised with the latest information possible. No, I, I did notice, yeah, that the the, the seven eight seven six eight uh, city was a really well publicized number, and and you had a pretty big call center supporting that. Whereas I think others were finding that uh, their numbers were getting busy, but uh, the city had a pretty clear line. We did. We had enough uh, people staffing that, and as a matter of fact, we were getting calls from other counties saying, "Hey, you know, I can't get through because our our county um, agency is busy." So so yeah, definitely it did work out. It was a lesson that we learned that we took to heart that you know in the future i think we are going to keep up that kind of robust hotline 
great, yeah. great. Thanks, Peter, for your call. Yeah, thanks, Peter. And Ryan, if I can jump in and something that Peter said to what John and Cody said, um, Peter said there was one smart person in his office that had that idea about a survey monkey, and then John had mentioned about the level of uh, social media, and you would ask that question of Cody as well. And what's really clear in terms of you were asking about tools or training or whatnot, the National Disaster Preparedness Training Center offered a social media class here in Hawaii County two years ago, Social Media for Disaster Managers. And it was attended by just about every a representative from just about every uh, different county agency here in Hawaii County. But I can tell you, um, and I talked to the mayor's office today about this, their focus, and what very purposely their focus, was on radio transmissions in terms of getting it out over radio. Uh, that's always been a very popular method here on the Big Island. And there, there, really need, there is a great discrepancy in social media skills among uh, first responding agencies and various county agencies on this island. And that is something that should be addressed in the future because it, it really comes down to training and to getting key people in each one of the key absolutely uh, absolutely and you know Denise I know I know that 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 is something that is going to be a resounding message going forward I think social media is going to continue to play a major role in in these uh, disaster recoveries but you know we've uh, kind of getting at the end of our show and I want to give uh, Ian a chance to tell us so where can we find out more about uh, let's say your disaster tools and, and I'll give John a chance as well well, our, our disaster tools are actually specifically for state civil defense mm-hmm. and the counties. It's because of the information that goes into it is pretty confidential. So it's not generally available for the public. Denise mentioned the My Mercy. Actually, we took it down mm-hmm. actually not too long ago. So actually, we're going to put it back up. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, very shortly, you'll be able to get it on okay. uh, called My Mercy. Uh, for my website, it's uh, readyzonehq.com. And then I, I would recommend that everybody go to the Hawaii State VOAD site to, if they're interested in donating to the long-term recovery efforts on the Big Island. Mm-hmm. And, Cody, um, what can someone look for to find your Facebook group? Uh, it's it's Azel Recovery Offers and Requests. And um, I can put a, um, a hashtag on Facebook if that helps everybody find it. I can do um, just hashtag Azel. Absolutely, and we will have a, we'll have a link to that on our show page as well as to okay. Denise's resources when uh, when we get them at uh, bitemarkscafe.org. Well, we want to thank uh, Denise and Cody for joining us, as well as John Shear, who heads up Ready Zone HQ, and Ian Kitajima, who's the marketing manager over at Oceanet. We want to thank you all for joining us today. Thank you, guys. Aloha. Aloha. And uh, thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Please join us next week when we'll talk about deep sea ocean coral research. And if you missed any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can email us at feedback at bitemarks.org. Or, of course, you can also find us on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong, and our executive producer is Beth Ann Kozlovich. And we leave you with our song pick of the week. Here's a band called Bronco and a song called Class Historian. See you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. Mm-hmm.